Hello and welcome to Global Ecofeminist, a podcast where we discuss topics related to the intersection between the environment and feminism. Feminism supports the equality of men, women, and gender nonconforming people, and all are welcome on this platform. Thank you for being here today, and let's get into today's topic. Today's an exciting day because we have two new guests on the show. I'm here with my beautiful mother, Kim Shaw, and beautiful aunt, Christy Marshall, who will be speaking with me about their experiences in reference to the Supreme Court ruling of Roe v. Wade. Thank you both for being here today. (laughs) Thank you for having us, Alexandra. Happy to be here. Thank you. All right, great. To start things off, I'd love to talk about the history of Roe v. Wade and all the implications and battles that have led us to have this freedom in the first place. So I found this article from history.com titled Roe v. Wade, and there's a great summary I'd love to share to start off this conversation. So Roe v. Wade was a landmark legal decision issued on January 22, 1973, in which the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a Texas statute banning abortion, effectively legalizing the procedure across the United States. The court held that a woman's right to abortion was implicit to the right to privacy protected by the 14th Amendment in the Constitution. Prior to Roe v. Wade, abortion had been illegal throughout much of the country since the late 19th century. Since the 1973 ruling, many states imposed restrictions on abortion rights. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade recently on June 24, 2022, holding that there was no longer a federal constitutional right to an abortion. So we saw that very recently. Um, in our history and it's very interesting to see um history kind of flipped and do like a 180 after all like all the protests and everything about that do you guys have any thoughts on the new (laughs) overturn of the law and we can get more into that later as well well just comparing the the um 50 years ago to now I think women have a much stronger voice and um, hold within a patriarchal society and it's just like we're just not going to stand for that and we're doing our best and just today, yesterday we had elections and Mm -hmm. it shows that women are, you know, coming out to stand up against that. Yeah. Love that. I'll just reiterate what she said about the elections. It's just showing that women are saying, no, we've had enough, and that our rights, you know, and our freedoms are important, whether it's in the workplace or with our bodies or just who we are in society. And we have come a long way. Yeah, yes. But there's still some places we need a lot of work. Yeah, definitely agree with that. It's come... (laughs) very long, especially since um, after doing some research on this, seeing really how far we've come to today and being able to witness this historical, like, I don't know, just basic human rights for women and, you know, people who have had surgery to, you know, have a uterus, you know, they're, they're also like being targeted and stuff through these, these laws. So, it's important to um, be inclusive, I think, like 
coming from myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so great point. So as we were saying, we have come a long way for this fight for basic human rights and also honoring our constitution, which is where our country was founded. So I'd like to explain a little further about the history I um, found through history.com. So this is all cited. Um, The citations will be in the show notes. And um, so this is abortion before Roe v. Wade is what I found. Until the late 19th century, abortion was legal in the United States before quickening, quote unquote, the point at which a woman could first feel movements of the fetus, typically around the fourth month of pregnancy. And that's really the big controversy is when does life begin? You know, so many people have so many different opinions on this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in the conversation for this. Um, So some of the early regulations related to abortion were enacted in the 1820s and 1830s and dealt with the sale of dangerous drugs that women used to induce abortions. The drugs were sold despite their negative and sometimes fatal side effects. Um, I find this interesting, and we'll probably go into this more, but a lot of people wanted to protect the mother or the woman, um, but it's interesting that they would allow the legal selling of these drugs, like, if you really care about the woman's life or the mother's life, like, why would you be putting them in that situation where they had to have, like, fatal stuff? And I think, too, just the nature of childbirth, women have always been in danger. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always been, you know, something that you never knew if Mm -hmm. you would make it through. So it was just sort of part of the burden we carried as women, you yeah. know, to whether we're trying to abort or whether we're trying to not get pregnant or whether we're having a baby. Yeah. There's a lot of risk. Yeah. And I think that's really what adds to the sensitivity of the topic is that it's our lives. Like, it's not just like whether we're going to have a baby or not. It's really dangerous in a lot of situations. So I think that's something that women are trying to get across to people who may not understand as much. And I was just thinking uh, about the drugs that they gave people in the early, was it the early 1800s? Yeah. They may not have been quite as advanced as what we have now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have the, that abortion pill that really works and it's not fun, but it does work in the Mm-hmm. woman seems to be okay so I don't know what the procedures were for abortions back then but at least it was available and if the mm-hmm. woman chose to go that route and was that important to her then she could do it mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point I think I think that choice to <laughs> I mean that's really the whole issue like the choice mm-hmm. and to have that taken away is scary because it's like you feel like you have no like um, control over your own body and that's scary as a sentient being no matter what form you're in (coughs) you always want to have control over like what happens to you so I think that's a great point and brings up like the deeper issue of it so 
Uh, furthermore, in the late 1850s, there were multiple reasons why abortion was being criminalized, some of them being the newly established American Medical Association wanted to eliminate doctors' competitors, such as midwives or homeopaths, which I didn't know about before. I've never actually even heard of this association. I, I assume it's like our main health care is that right? Yeah, no, it is. And I've heard about that because I'm very much into homeopathy, and it's even being threatened on some level today. So it is mm-hmm. the sort of governing part of, you know, being a, a medical professional in this world now is to be a part of the AMA. Oh, wow. And that they, yeah, they don't want any alternatives. And sometimes they've gone after vitamins and such, too. So Really? Wow, I didn't know that. I mean, that makes sense. You know, it's kind of like a business structure. So to word out anything that is competing with that, it makes sense. It's it's unfortunate, but that's the way a lot of our country is run, like business first, people like second, you know. So we can see that in this scenario. Another reason that uh, abortion was being criminalized in the 1850s was because some nativists, alarmed by the country's growing population of immigrants, were anti-abortion because they feared declining birth rates among white American-born Protestant women. So to try, yeah, I was like, I was shocked, but not shocked by that, (laughs) honestly. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I do. I would (laughs) say that, you know, it's never been said, but it might be an undercurrent of what's happening now, too, Mm -hmm. in some people's beliefs about keeping the, you know, white race going. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, this is another topic, but it probably goes in with some uh, religious groups as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and moral issues. Yeah, I think those are great takes on, you know, as we saw why abortion was being criminalized and banned in the first place. We see it continuing into modern day. I mean, really, it takes a long time to change stuff, even if it's written down and it's changed to have society get behind that as well is tough because there's so many opposing sides and as we saw with religion and white supremacy I think definitely plays a big role in this issue (laughs) um I mean and and speaking as a, a white woman like I definitely definitely recognize my privilege in this conversation but definitely being like a woman I I feel the you know I feel the effects, so I'm not going to, like, pretend like I don't, but I definitely recognize that my skin color has helped me in some areas of this conversation and life, my life and stuff, so, yeah. Um, And I think, obviously, everyone should have the same treatment. goes without saying, but... All right, so continuing... In 1869, the Catholic Church banned abortion at any stage of pregnancy, while in 1873, just four years later, Congress passed 
the Comstock Law, which made it illegal to distribute contraceptives, otherwise known as birth control, and abortion-inducing drugs through the U.S. mail. So people weren't able to get the resources that they needed. And by the 1880s, abortion was outlawed across most of the country. So that's just a little background of how we got here, (laughs) where it all started, everything like that. Do you guys have any comments or questions about that? Well, I just, um, it's very interesting about the birth control because they're related and that's a a factor in, you know, reproductive rights. And um, I think they go hand in hand. The end result is a pregnancy or an unwanted pregnancy, but leading up to that and the choices that women have had through through the last hundred or two hundred years are um, definitely play against play off of each other. Good point because it's hard to have this conversation without introducing the conversation of contraceptives as well. Even though that's kind of like like a, its own conversation, it definitely fits into this one. Mm-hmm. So that's a great point. Now I'd like to transition into the main topic of this podcast, which is Roe v. Wade very famous court case, Supreme Court. Um, So I'd love to introduce, you know, a little history of during the 1960s, during the women's rights movement, um, court cases involving contraceptives laid the groundwork for Roe v. Wade. So that is a perfect transition. So this next clip is Gloria Steinem in 1972, speaking on a panel about abortion. Ms. Steinem, this issue of abortion or reproductive freedom seems to be one of the burning issues among women and your group. What specifically is it you want? Do you want to wipe out all the bans and state-imposed prohibitions on abortion? Yes, the position of the caucus is one against government intervention in the reproductive freedom of the individual citizen. That affects men as well as women. It means birth control as well as abortion. It also means the enforced sterilization laws, uh, which exist in many states in this country and which affect um, criminals and any individual considered socially undesirable, uh, very often affects poor and minority people, welfare clients and the like. And uh, it's it's clear from uh, the opinions in other industrialized uh, countries and also from the opinions here, that that is not the, 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 the wish of the average citizen, male and female, is not to have government intervention in that most uh, private uh, area of personal freedom. Period. Well said. Gloria Steinem is incredible. I mean, wow. Just so well-spoken and intelligent, like we were saying earlier, and really um voices i think for the people and uh yeah do you guys have any thoughts on that little excerpt that we listened to i again find it interesting that we're talking just like that right now on on the news shows and in our political realm and it's very disheartening with all the progress we've made to um, be at this place again, but I must say that, again, that women have a much stronger hold in society 50 years later than 
they did then. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a different um, environment. Yeah, definitely agree. I feel very grateful to be part of of a generation that has had so many women work on this before I was even born. And I mean, there's just so much gratitude to give, you know, for I'm rolling my eyes because it's just so obvious to me. And I'm like, it seems like to you guys, like how this should just be a given. (laughs) Um, But like you said, it can be disheartening, but, you know, these times we're choosing not to fall back. And we have, um, I think, more safety nets now, um, financially, socially, where we can be supported in our decisions. And um, I feel like women are really coming together a lot, especially since, you know, Trump and the Women's March we saw after he was elected, we really saw like how we could pull together. And that was really powerful. Great. Well, thank you for playing that um, excerpt. It's very, very prevalent. And so just keeping on the timeline a little bit, we're going back a few years, but this is all happening in around the same time, you know, in the five years time span. So now I'd like to go into a little background on Jane Roe, which is who we're talking about, who we're at the table with, and who really helped us be here today, and just go into what her story was, because I honestly didn't know too much about it. When I grew up, I just heard Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, so now I feel more educated, and I'd love to say a little bit about that. So, a little background, this is from history.com again. In 1969, Norma McCorvey, which is actually her real name, a Texas woman in her early 20s sought to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. McCorvey, who had grown up in difficult, impoverished circumstances, previously had given birth twice and given up both children for adoption. At the time of McCorvey's pregnancy in 1969, abortion was legal in Texas, but only for the purpose of saving a woman's life. So this like floors me because, you know, like we were talking about the ways in which women move around to get abortion themselves, it's very dangerous. So that doesn't make sense to me, honestly. And also seeing in today's climate with the new abortion law, a lot of it is um, very specific in which you can get an abortion. One of them being you have to um, have been like raped by someone or I forget what it was. I don't know if you guys heard about that like implication, but it was very specific. There's the rape there's also the danger to the mother again still but also that the fetal heartbeat has to be stopped Mm -hmm. before they can abort and so that's sort of a gray area where a lot of doctors are just it just saddens them that they can't do their job Mm -hmm. and help the mom or the baby or because they're caught because they'll be criminalized Mm -hmm. so that's very sad to me and those uh, restrictions are state to state, right? Mm-hmm. So, it varies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, 
Great points. It does put people in a tough position. And, you know, as much as we think it's just affecting pregnant women, it's not. It's affecting everyone involved. I'm going to reiterate what Gloria Steinem was saying that, you know, what I think the bottom line of all of this is to not have government control over a very personal decision between yourself, your conscience, and your doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely the key point I definitely took away from that speech as well. It was, that was really the main point, (laughs) honestly, in that sentence. Great. So, furthermore, while American women with the financial means could obtain abortions by traveling to other countries where the procedure was safe and legal, or pay a large fee to a U.S. doctor willing to secretly perform an abortion, you know, it made people get all criminally technically under the radar these options were out of reach to McCorvey and many other women you know unless you have money it's really hard to help yourself as a result some women were uh, resorted to illegal dangerous back alley quote-unquote abortions or self-induced abortions I remember learning about coat hangers you know women would run into the wall got innovative you know like we were saying it's it's very scary um for a woman to lose that right and her choice so i feel like it you know kind of puts us into a corner in a metaphorical way like what else can you do at that point Mm. i have a question for you guys what is the point about saving a woman's life if she is in danger by performing an illegal abortion herself? Is it just about Puritan patriarchal control? Yes, (laughs) I think it is. That's a good point. Like, if you want to save someone's life and then they're putting their lives at risk to get an abortion because people are going to have abortions no matter what, it's it's really a, um, a fine line between those two. So to go a little bit more into McCorvey, a.k.a. Rose Life, first, just a little bit of statistics for you. In the 1950s and 1960s, an estimated number of illegal abortions in the United States ranged from 200,000 to 1.2 million per year. Yes, I was. Yes, I was shocked to see that number. Honestly, and that's only the recorded number. That could even be more. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. And you know, that's what what McCorvey wanted to do. She wanted to get an illegal abortion, um, but she was unsuccessful. And after that, she was referred to Texas attorneys Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington who were interested in challenging anti-abortion laws. So she lived in Texas, and that's where, in court documents, McCorvey became known as Jane Roe. And that's where you hear the famous name, Roe. So I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Instead of Jane, Jane Doe. Who's <laughs> that? That's, that's just what they use a lot for an anonymous name, is Jane Doe. So they made it Jane Roe. Oh my God! What? Oh my God! It all comes back full circle. Is that why they did that? You think? Probably. 
Yeah, that yeah, makes she sense. To be anonymous. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> All right. So a little background on Henry Wade now, which is the second name you hear mm-hmm. in Roe v. Wade. So in 1970, the attorneys filed a lawsuit on behalf of McCorvey and all the other women who, quote, were or might become pregnant and might want to consider all options, end quote, against Henry Wade, who was the district attorney of Dallas County, where McCorvey lived. After all this backstory, background history of Roe v. Wade and abortion laws, we finally get to the Supreme Court ruling. In June 1970, a Texas district court ruled that the state's abortion law was illegal because it violated a constitutional right to privacy. And we saw that in the summary earlier. Afterward, Wade declared he'd continue to prosecute doctors who performed abortions. So he was upholding this, you know, he was the bad guy, quote unquote, essentially. In this situation. Later on January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court, in a 7 to 2 decision, struck down the Texas law banning abortion, effectively legalizing the procedure nationwide. The court declared that a woman's right to an abortion was implicit in the right to privacy protected by the 14th Amendment. Woo! Like, finally, someone has their head on straight. <laughs> oh my god. And they also concluded that in the third trimester, the state could prohibit abortion to protect a fetus that could survive on its own outside the womb, except when a woman's health was in danger. And that's what you were touching on, Aunt Christy, earlier about when does life begin? How, how do we qualify that? Is the heartbeat gone? You know, there's that whole other segment of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So that was the big court case that went down in history, and we can see how we got there and everything like that. Um, And since Roe v. Wade, many states imposed restrictions that weaken abortion rights, and Americans remain divided over support for a woman's right to choose an abortion. I do think, as we said earlier, a lot of it has to do with religious views, Puritan culture, white supremacy definitely believe that has a lot to do with um the polarization of the topic any thoughts i concur (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) all right so after all that all that fighting all that debate back and forth it was a sad day when Roe v. Wade was overturned just this past year, a few months ago. And I remember, like, we can go into this a little more, but I remember how nervous my body felt when I heard the news. I just remember my body was like, and all the women around me were furious, you know? Especially being in 2022, you would think this wouldn't even be a conversation anymore. But it is. And we'll go into that. Um, so in case you didn't uh, know the background of it or anything about this past um, year's overturn of the Supreme Court legislation, 
In 2022, the nation's highest court deliberated on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which regarded the constitutionality of a Mississippi law banning most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Lower courts had ruled that the law was unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade. Under Roe, states had been prohibited from banning abortions before around 23 weeks, when a fetus is considered able to survive outside a, a woman's womb. In its decision, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 in favor of Mississippi's law and overturned Roe v. Wade after its nearly 50 years as precedent. First of all, I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, anything you remember from 1973 when the first round was passed and what people were talking about during the time, what was the social climate, um, the culture, societal norms. Did you grow up learning about periods, sex, pregnancy, abortion, etc.? And also if you'd like to touch on how you, how you were feeling during uh, this past few months overturn of the law I'd love to hear about your experience so get being that I was the oldest I was still in high school I was 17 years old I had the freedom as a teenager to yes we were taught about sex um, planned parenthood was available it had just really come into being contraceptives were available the pill was available and that's a whole nother subject but you know because to me that's still something that can make women sick mm -hmm. but it was available and I will say that I used it as a you know 16 year old I think I was but it made me not feel good so I stopped mm -hmm. but I had other options and I was educated on those I will say, and preface this, that we lived in the California Bay, Bay Area, so it was much more progressive. And abortion was in the climate, but it wasn't in my climate because I was still a teenager. I remember the rallies and the things, but I, I was more um, appreciating that I could be a young woman who had some rights to my reproductive choices mm -hmm. and also that I could think about having a education and a life mm -hmm. and not, you know, have and still have a choice around not having six children if I didn't want them. So being the younger sister, I got to see my older sister, you know, talk about sexual activity with with our mom who was very progressive and very open with us about our choices and supporting us and that was a generation jump i think because her her growing up was much different she didn't have birth control or, or she didn't have the pill which was a big revolution i think so being younger i i don't I think I just took all of that for granted. I don't really remember being aware of having rights. I I remember seeing Gloria Steinem on TV. I remember civil rights things going on. I remember the Vietnam War was a big thing. That was more in my consciousness 
maybe because I don't know if I felt, you know, underlying feeling unsafe with those types of issues. Mm -hmm. But the Vietnam War was a big thing when I was young like that. But sexually, I was, it wasn't really, you know, on my radar, but I just took it for granted. I've always taken it for granted that I could do whatever I want and, and have abortion or not, or, you know, choose. And, and, and now I see how fragile that is, that that can be taken away. Mm. And I have three daughters and that's who I fight for. And uh, Mm -hmm. Alexandra and I went to a a march when this new decision came down and there was a lot of women from my generation were still out there for these young women. Mm -hmm. And I do it because someone did it for me. I just wanted to say there were a lot of, there were a lot of men there too. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is great. Mm -hmm. You could tell they were in touch with they're feminine and, you know, willing to support. So that was beautiful. So the other half of the question about how how this decision affected me, it's really sad. And again, I feel for my beautiful nieces and every, I mean, I'm past my reproductive age, so it's not affecting me directly, but I feel for the rest of all women, all women everywhere. Mm. you know everywhere mm-hmm. and um, I totally believe in choice that's it bottom line yeah. bottom line and, and anyone can choose what they want but I believe and I'm a psychotherapist that but that's the one thing if we don't have choice we get really depressed mm. and that's in our own psyches but then you think about it collectively it just takes everything down because we don't have our freedoms and we don't have our choices. And so that just pains me deeply. Mm-hmm. That, that choice has been taken away. And again, I'm grateful we live in California <clears throat> where we just voted to say no, it's okay here still. So that mm-hmm. makes me feel better. And just to piggyback on that, it really is a a world issue for different cultures Mm -hmm. and we're seeing our culture here with this white you know religious uh, patriarchy and I'm going to use the word inflicting you know boundaries on our choices as women and um, I love the saying if you don't believe in abortion don't have one that's right and that just sums it up for me like Everybody just choose what they is right for them and their families. It's it's all very circumstantial for each person and each family unit and what's right for them. <sighs> yes, I I completely agree with your statements and thank you for fighting for even before I was in existence. <laughs> I appreciate it from all the way up there. <laughs> You know, and even if I wasn't a woman, I would still be fighting yeah. for women. Yeah. And I think, too, just the generation before us, our, our mother and our aunt and everyone in the 50s, 40s and 50s, they would literally marry young so they could be sexual and also so that they could 
have some sort sense of freedom away from their parents. We've really exponentially changed in so many ways. But again, taking that one choice away, which people do anyway. I mean, like we were saying, people will have abortions anyway, dangerously mostly. It just, yeah, it takes us back, way back. I know, I remember seeing posts after the news broke out that were saying, huh, I didn't know I set my clock back to the 1950s. (laughs) Like, bro, what is this? Like, this is ridiculous. It's sad. Like you said, ridiculous. It's annoying is like an understatement, but just the fact that we are kind of forced to have to spend all this time and energy reversing something that we fought so hard for collectively is disappointing but it's really nice to see how like we were saying how women are really coming together in a lot of ways now with a lot of resources and um i think i think a lot of this is stemmed from control from people that don't first of all don't know what it's like to have a womb or a uterus or be able to create life I think a lot of people who made that decision um, don't have that experience and that honestly confuses me but it also doesn't because I think it's just about control and wanting to enforce their beliefs whether that be religious or personal onto women that they will never even meet and that confuses me again it's about just letting people make their own choices yeah and that's it you can believe what you want to believe but don't tell me what i want to believe and what i believe might change over time too and that's where we again we can have that freedom to choose Mm -hmm. and then I want to say too the one thing I have noticed in the midst of this sort of big change in 2022 with this law is that men have stepped up Mm -hmm. and men are wanting to take more responsibility for birth control and family planning and you know I've heard that they're they're working on a male pill really yeah and that a lot of men have have said that they're going to you know they'll be you know in the trials to make sure it works or not that they'll put their bodies and their selves for the rest of people to be able to not have this you know so to me even that again that's another choice if a man would want to do that or get a vasectomy or Mm -hmm. whatever we can't take those choices away Mm -hmm. so why take all of our choices away well we could (laughs) but we don't There seems, could. there seems to be less of an interest right. on men's bodies. That's right. So, But that's it's interesting that it's coming more in, Yeah. that they're stepping up. Yeah, so. that's a great point, and thank yeah. you for saying that, because sometimes I forget and don't see it as much as I'd like to. Um, but, yes, thank you for that reminder. <laughs> thank you to all the men who are listening and, you know, out there helping doing what you can to help. We really appreciate it and need everyone we can. And supporting the women and daughters and uh, sisters in your lives who make choices you might not 
agree with, but you support them. Period. (laughs) Beautiful. Love that. We kind of already touched on this question, but do you believe that where you lived had a direct impact on your experience with this law? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Very, you know, forward thinking area, California and the Bay Area. Totally. And I'm glad it's still here in California. (laughs) Now, this last question I have for you both is pretty personal. And, you know, only if you're comfortable, I'd love to hear. um, Do you know of anyone who was or is currently personally affected by this law, whether that be before it was passed, while it was in placement, or just recently after it was passed. Um, and can you go into more detail of what that process was like for them or any personal stories? For me, personally, um, like I said, when I was young, I kind of took it for granted. I had access to birth control. I had sex education. I had an open-minded mother and sister and a lot of support. I've had two very different abortion um, scenarios in my life and choices made for totally different reasons. And I am forever grateful that I had those choices available at those times in my life. Um, Let me just say that I have three beautiful daughters now and they were all planned pregnancies and all come to term and everyone's healthy and happy. Uh, But when I was 19, I was young and careless. And my uh, man or boy I was with was very young and careless. And I um, was pregnant and decided to have an abortion. He and I both agreed on that. I went to Planned Parenthood, was very supported was, um, you know, just uh, not an easy thing to go through, but it was available and it was the right choice for me at the time. And also the other abortion that I didn't really want, but I chose to have with my husband, uh, we decided because we had a pregnancy in my later years that the fetus was um, mentally, going to be mentally and physically challenged. It was a um, chromosomal defect. The, if the baby was born at, at term, it would have been very, um, uh, would have had a very, very hard life. And it was a very hard decision that my husband and I made with our doctors and genealogists and you know really deciding what was best for us and for our family we had a child already so that decision was very difficult to make but i am so grateful that i had professional help and i know that we made the right decision for our family and for our unborn child most of all so I feel for women who don't have the choices I had, and I support having choice available 
for every woman. Thank you for sharing. So I will say that yes, I was affected in my lifetime too. And I again am really grateful that I had the choice and it was a choice made with a doctor. I was 23. I was using birth control, not on the pill, but using birth control. I found out that I had uh, melanoma and went through surgery and drugs and stress and all sorts of things and didn't know that I was pregnant. And so when I found out that I was pregnant, it was still early on, my doctor said that, that the baby, uh, the fetus wouldn't have had any chance given everything that had gone on in my body with the cancer and everything. And plus, at that point, I didn't even know if I was going to be alive and how I would survive. So, um, again, it was a very difficult decision. But again, I'm so glad that I had the choice to take care of myself and my unborn fetus and have an abortion. And it was difficult and painful emotionally and physically, but it was the right thing. And again, I, um, I think of her. I named her. I made her real because she is. And it wasn't a light decision. But again, I had the choice. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I really appreciate both of your vulnerabilities and personal stories. It's I know it's not always easy to bring up again. I really appreciate it. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> I'm so happy I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, and I really like what you said about it was the right choice. And it's very up to the person. Mm -hmm. And when you bring it down to these individual personal stories, it's so obvious what it helps you with. Yeah. And then I'm going to add to that at 25, I had an unexpected pregnancy and I wasn't married, but I chose to have that baby. And I'm really glad I did. Me too. Thank you. And I'd just like to say something as a woman that men don't know when you were talking about they don't have a uterus or whatever, or womb. We have our menstrual cycle every month from a young age and most of our lives. We're very aware of our bodies and our processes. And when you become pregnant, it is a fact. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes, you know, often it's unplanned. So you have to make these choices and you need to have different 
paths you can take. And uh, it's not easy. It is not an easy choice. Even for somebody who says, oh, well, I'll just have an abortion. It's still not easy. But when you're pregnant, that's it. Game on. (laughs) And so people don't know what that feels like. Men. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is powerful, the way you said that. You know, I've never, speaking from personal experience, I, I've i had scares, pregnancy scares. I think I've been pretty lucky in that department. But you never know. And whenever I had those scares, this big feeling of almost everything came over me and it was really intense to know that my body is able to bring life into the world and to not be ready for that is something I'm really grateful to have a choice over like you were saying yeah and you know I love connecting to my menstrual cycle and I've recently just stopped seeing it as dirty or gross or whatever they want to tell us it is I never really thought it was that I always had like a fascination with it like wow that's fucking cool like what (laughs) this fucking like baby comes out like it's incredible it's incredible and there's so many different feelings that come with it and it's not black and white, and it's important that the people making the decisions know what it's like to go through all those different feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I just sort of want to piggyback back to my, when I was 25 and chose to go through my pregnancy, I wasn't ready either. I wasn't married, I wasn't ready, I wasn't fully educated yet. But I still, again, I got to do my own soul searching. Mm -hmm. I got to do my own dealing with my family and my, you know, society and shame and, you know, not doing it the way you're supposed to and, but I, came to my own choice and again I came to my own choice and that's to again we're going to boil it right back down to there that I got to have that freedom in my own mind in my own soul to be able to say okay I'm going to do this I'm not ready it's not the way it's supposed to be but I'm going to do this mm-hmm. really is the bottom line there it is thank you again for being so vulnerable and honest and real with yourselves and with me and with this conversation it's i'm sure it's helping someone somewhere Mm -hmm. positive Mm -hmm. so as we can see with this whole conversation on abortion rights and roe v wade it's very important to keep this law going even though it was overturned there are still a lot of resources that you can donate to or research further to support abortion rights across 
North America especially, is where these resources are located. All of these resources will be cited in the show notes for future reference, so you can find those nice and easy. The first one I'd like to talk about is Planned Parenthood Action Fund. As we mentioned earlier, it is a huge organization that helps women with abortion and having safe contraception across the United States and I believe Canada. I'm not sure. On, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but and the, education. And education. Thank you. So they help protect access to safe legal abortion and reproductive rights. And you can donate on their website, which will, again, be in the show notes description. There's also another organization that I researched that you can donate to that is located in, uh, based in New Mexico for Indigenous women in the U.S. and in Canada. It's called Indigenous Women Rising. Um, their mission is committed to honoring Native and Indigenous people's inherent right to equitable and culturally safe health options through accessible health education, resources, and advocacy. So those, again, will be in the show notes if you'd like to donate or research further about these. They are there for you. Oh, well, this has been a beautiful, probably one of my favorite episodes I've recorded so far. I feel very powerful with my two beautiful women in my life who I feel very close to and very grateful that, you know, we ended up together here in this life. Is there anything you'd like to say before I close it out? I'd just like to say thank you for having me, and um, I feel honored to be able to speak about these things and hear, have my voice heard, and I really admire the work you're doing and continuing the fight and the consciousness of this issue, so thank you for, for doing this. Thank you. And I'd like to say thank you to Alexandra for creating this space and educating us and all the research you've done and also just making it feel natural and free to have an open conversation. So thank you and keep it up. I'm so glad you both feel that way. <laughs> thank you so much again for sharing your input and experience on today's episode. I appreciate your vulnerability on this sensitive subject and hope those listening can grow from this conversation. If you're interested in being on an episode of the podcast, please email globalecofeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at globalecofeminist for inquiries. Thank you for being with us here today and I hope you learned something new because I know I did. And with that, I will see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye. Bye.